Our scripture reading for today is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for this day once more in the season of Advent as we come into your presence with expectation of your coming and coming again. Help us now to hear your word and to hear that word in joyful obedience. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We are uh, continuing our walk uh, through the narrative lectionary, and this is now the second week of Advent as we continue to wait and anticipate the coming and the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we heard from the prophet Jeremiah as he gave a much-needed word to the beleaguered people confronting possible death, the imminent destruction of their beloved city of Jerusalem, and decades of exile in Babylon that were to follow. Today, we hear from the prophet Isaiah, 
whose word as that exile is coming to an end and as the people are about to return back home to their homeland. God has kept his promises given through the prophet Jeremiah and others, but those to whom those promises were originally given are not going to be able to experience their full fulfillment. After 70 years of exile, those returning home as promised are not those who came in exile, but their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. The returnees have never been to Jerusalem. They've only heard the stories of her former glory and of God's great promises of restoration. So you can imagine when they arrive, they will see something quite different. They will see the city wall in collapse, the temple leveled, the streets and the houses in ruin. They're likely to feel discouraged and overwhelmed by the enormous amount of work that will be required to rebuild every facet of their life together. Everything from the physical infrastructure to social networks, to political machinery, to economic development, and to the religious rhythms of life. So like Jeremiah, Isaiah offers them a word of comfort. But at the same time, because they are returning home as promised, the word for them and for us today is not so much about a future hope, but more about a present responsibility and opportunity. It's not nearly the same experience, of course, but I think this is a timely word for us in that we too are returning from a kind of pandemic exile. And we are still trying to figure out how to rebuild our life together. And even as we return to old and familiar patterns of living, I think here we are being invited to imagine alongside the Israelites how we might participate in the work of the recreation of our communities. The question for the Israelites and for us is this, rather than simply going back to the way it was, rather than rebuilding things the way they used to be, so that we do not repeat the kinds of injustices and the sins that led to the exile, should we and can we not consider how we might cultivate a different and a better way of being and doing so that a more righteous society might be established? I think that is a question before the Israelites, and before us today. About a month ago, I was with a few of my minister friends, and we were talking about the church, because that's what ministers do. And someone asked me if I thought the old adage was true, that preachers essentially preach one sermon with a variation on it. And without hesitation, I blurted out, yes, absolutely true. Everyone preaches one sermon, but you know, a, a variation on it. Um, but then I added the caveat that I thought that the greatest of preachers preach two sermons. I don't know if that's um, a surprise to any of you, but you've heard one sermon, you've heard all. <laughs> um, 
and it's not that, you know, the sermon is exactly the same every week, but that most preachers, and I include myself here, were captivated by one idea or one aspect of God, which kind of colors, and I suppose it kind of limits all the ways in which we can speak about God. And so I, I always vary the times when um, we have guest speakers or when you're able to listen to other preachers because you, get the, you just get that variety and, and you're able to hear a different sermon than the one you normally hear uh, week to week. So among my friends, for example, one said that her one sermon was that she preached that we are beloved, that every sermon kind of ends up reminding the congregation that you are a beloved child of God. That, that's a good sermon. Another said that um, his one sermon was about community, that he's always trying to envision a way of life together that is more in alignment with God's great shalom. That, that's a good sermon too. And then a, still another one of my friends uh, said her one sermon is about joy, that she wanted the congregation to know that the, the life that God wants for us is one that is just joyful, that joy, no matter how hard life is, at the foundation of our being with God. Also a good sermon. I told them that my one sermon is about accompaniment. That just as God is with us through the valley of the shadow of death, just as Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us, you think I'd know what it is after I've preached it so many years, uh, that even as God promises to be with us, even to the end of the age, just as the very name of the Holy Spirit is one who is called alongside with us, so I believe that that is our fundamental call, that we are called to be alongside one another. And for me, this has been the kind of theological underpinning, the, the ministry philosophy, if you will, uh, in what we've been trying to build together here as a church. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Um, and of course, you know, because of that, then it raises all kinds of other questions, variations under sermon, right? What kind of people do we want to be? Who do we want to walk alongside with? And so on. And it's one emphasis, right? It's one emphasis. It's one way of organizing our life together. And I think especially as I get older, especially as being together becomes increasingly more challenging as people get sick, as people move away and so on. For me, this word, I think, is very pertinent uh, for our life together. Well, Isaiah, I think, here lays out a better vision, a paradigm for their unique community of returning exile. So there is a particularity to this message. He tells us that this work of recreation is not something that will be built on their wishful thinking, not something that would be built on their available resources, not on their collective wisdom. Rather, it's first and foremost we see here that it is going to be the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Just as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation in the darkness and in the chaos, to bring forth order and life. So here now the spirit of God is engaged in the work of recreating and empowering the people of God. So it's not going to be the CEOs, the heads of states, the movers and the shakers, but the spirit-filled, anointed servants of God 
who will be tasked with these series of commands of recreating the vision that God has for the world to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison, to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it will be the same servant who is tasked with the making of the, the series of transformative exchanges, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. These actions, these exchanges, will then lead the entire community to being likened like sturdy and stout oaks of righteousness, that they then will be tasked with the further rebuilding of building up the ancient ruins to raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. That's the hope, that's the vision. And all of this is being driven by a God who loves justice who loves righteousness, who longs for a world as he intended, the right ordering of creation, a divine shalom which shall lead to life and everlasting joy. The blueprint for God's kingdom and the ministry of the people of God is given here, and it all begins with the empowerment of the Spirit. This is the one word, the one sermon around which the entire community can rebuild their society and the world. Again, this word is particular to this community, but it's also a word that will captivate a young preacher hundreds of years later. Even if you have never opened the book of Isaiah, the words of these first few verses will be familiar to you because they were spoken by someone else. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told that Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth, notably in the power of the Spirit. And he went to worship as was his custom. And then he entered into that sanctuary and he stood up and he read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit, it, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. Now it's not clear whether or not Jesus chose the book of Isaiah because it was handed to him, but it does seem to indicate that he deliberately looked for and chose this passage from Isaiah 61. Not only here in this, his first sermon, but later in Luke chapter seven, when the disciples of John the baptizer asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we have been waiting for? Jesus does not answer them with a yes or a no directly, but instead his response is a paraphrase of Isaiah 61 once more. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. That is Jesus' kingdom agenda from Isaiah 61. In many churches today, if you were to ask the question, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of your church? You will hear many different answers. 
And in the churches that many of you probably grew up, you would have probably heard an answer along the lines of Jesus' last command. In Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gave his disciples what is known as the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. That's the last mission, the last word Jesus gave to the church. And so in some churches uh, where I grew up, certainly, that was the one sermon. World evangelism was the priority. And no question, no question, this is an important mission of the church. But before we get to Jesus' last word, there is his first word. Jesus saw his mission, his ministry, his life work, even his very identity rooted in the work as outlined in our reading today from Isaiah 61. I think it is no small thing that Jesus first outlined his kingdom agenda with these words. This is the mission of the church, as is making disciples and the other commandments. This is what the disciples do. And this is what we are still being called to do. When I was in a seminary uh, years ago, I once got into a very uh, heated debate with a classmate about the church's mission strategy. And like most arguments I've been in, I cannot recall the details now. But I do remember I was insisting upon the, uh, the mission strategy of the Apostle Paul. And I was making the case that that's the right model and Paul did it right, he was the best at it, and that we, the church, we have to imitate, we have to follow his methods and strategies. And I was so convinced I had it right. And I was so convinced I was winning the argument and I was persuading you know, my other classmates and so on. When someone rudely asked, shouldn't we follow Jesus's methods? Right? When, when we think about missions and strategies, we're, we're, we're generally thinking about what the apostles did, about what the early church did. And someone had the nerve, the gall, to suggest, shouldn't we consider the mission that Jesus outlined? Yeah, we should. Jesus took Isaiah's words and made it his kingdom program to proclaim the good news, the favorable year of the Lord. You know, interestingly enough, when Jesus gave that sermon, he stopped reading the scriptures in mid-sentence. He didn't mention the day of vengeance or the day of vindication. He stopped with the favorable year of the Lord. Now, if anybody did that in seminary today, you know, you'd, you'd flunk preaching for sure. You can't, you can't stop the scripture in the middle of a sentence. But that's what he did. And when Jesus gave that message, when he declared that the spirit of the Lord God was upon him, the congregation loved it. When he proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord, they were like, yes, yes, now the salvation of the Lord has come and, and we will be saved. 
and we will eat the wealth of the nations, and foreigners will be our servants. People loved it. But then Jesus continued to interpret the favorable year of the Lord as favoring the Gentiles, those outside the synagogues, and the congregation wanted to kill him. They wanted favor for themselves and vengeance against their enemies. That was the favorable year of the Lord. Not just favor for us, but the destruction of our enemies. But Jesus wanted nothing of that. He saw the kingdom of God for all of God's children, for all of God's creation, and especially for those who are outside, who are marginalized, who are hurt because he knew his scriptures. That God's mercy is close to anyone who would call upon his name. And that God loved the world so that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not come into judgment and condemnation, but shall be saved. In Leviticus 25, God instituted the year of Jubilee, or the favorable year of the Lord, so that every 50 years, the only thing that we would be doing would be to proclaim liberty in the land. Every 50 years, there was supposed to be this, this, this totally impractical reset where all debts would be canceled, when all lands that had been sold would be returned to their original owners. It was supposed to be so that everyone would not be burdened by generational debt and would have a fresh start and opportunity so that everyone could once more experience and enjoy the peace of God. As far as we know, ancient Israel never practiced or celebrated this commandment. But now Jesus says, it's here. Now, the good news that Jesus is proclaiming is not simply about some future salvation that is to come, not just some salvation of our souls. It's also about here and now. The favorable year of the Lord is something very concrete and that is being realized today. Of course, this is not an either or. It's a comprehensive salvation and good news for the whole person for all. Bishop Desmond Tutu, a leader in the movement that led to the end of apartheid in South Africa, he said, I don't preach a social gospel. I preach the gospel, period. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for the whole person. When people were hungry, Jesus didn't say, now, is that political or social? He said, I feed you because good news to a hungry person is bread. Good news to the brokenhearted is the binding of their hearts. Good news to the captive is liberty. Good news to those who are bound in prison is to be set free. Good news to those who mourn is to be comforted. And that work still remains for us. Now, you might think, and you might be saying to yourself right now, well, I'm not Isaiah. I'm certainly not Jesus. 
And maybe it feels uncomfortable or it seems like, you know, not right to say the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Right? Isaiah can say that. And certainly Jesus is welcome to say that. But who am I to say these words? How can I apply these words directly to me? Now, it's true that the Spirit of God was present and is present in Jesus in a very unique way. But I remind you, I remind you of the promises Jesus gave to us regarding the Spirit. Jesus said that he would send us the Spirit, the one who was called to be with us alongside. The Spirit of truth, he said, who will dwell in you, he will dwell in you and will be with you forever. Remember at Pentecost, the Spirit descended like tongues of fire and filled the room and filled all the disciples. The Apostle Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit. And 1 John 4 reminds us that greater is he who is in us. The Spirit of God who is in us is greater than he that is in the world, the devil and the demons and, and all the rest. He's in us, and he's greater. We are empowered by the same spirit that empowered Isaiah and Jesus. This empowerment of the spirit, this indwelling of the spirit, is the ordinary experience of every Christian, of everyone who is in Christ. This is not some extra supernatural for the you know, super Christians or anything like that. And so we are here tasked with the same calling to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is still the mission of the church. This is still our call. The spirit of the Lord God is upon you, is upon us. Therefore, all the resources of God is available to us to meet all the needs of the whole world. So I want you to say it with me now. I want you to say with me now, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Believe that, because that's true. The spirit of the Lord God is upon you. And so now go boldly and preach the good news, the message of freedom and liberty. Bind up the brokenhearted. Sing songs of freedom to those who are held in captivity. Bring comfort to those who are in mourning and proclaim once again the favorable year of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your promises for us are not only for our souls, for some distant future, but here now, that we are to claim your promises also right now, today. Teach us what we must do and say in our homes, our schools, our churches, our communities, and in our world to participate in your work even as your spirit empowers us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.